Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Who can tell me what book we're studying? Thank you. Yes. The scripture reading this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Good morning. A few announcements before we get going. Uh, The annual business meeting is after the service, maybe 20 minutes after the service ends, so... Um, members, we, we definitely want you here if you're a member. If you're not a member, you can come and, and check it out and, and um, listen and, and, and just check out how, how we do these uh, meetings. So that will be after uh, service today, 20 minutes or so after, after service, and we'll be voting on the budget for next year. We're going to have a workday June 5th. 8 a.m. to 11-ish, uh, repairing some of the screens and, and, and you know, the grounds outside and, and, and getting rid of some stuff and, and getting some stuff in, in the garbage. If you're interested, please, um, you know, many, many hands make light work. We'd love to have you. Rick and Russ will be leading that effort so um, you can see them if you're interested. We've also decided to be in line with the local businesses um, and the, the the local uh, culture around us with masks. So we have dropped our mask policy. If you still want to wear a mask and you're still concerned, by all means, wear a mask. Um, But we no longer have a policy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we as a church 
as a body of believers come to you this morning and just ask that you pour your grace out in this room, in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, we ask you to convict us where we need conviction, to encourage our hearts where we need encouragement, to comfort us where we need comfort, to challenge us where we need to be challenged. Lord, help us to be a church that follows you and holds tightly to your word and not the predominant thinking of the culture around us. Lord, we realize when we do that, that is going to make us exiles and strangers in this world. But the hope of the gospel is worth so much more than the affirmation of men. Help us to see that as a body that you, your opinion matters much more than the opinion of the world. Work in our hearts, Lord. Unite us as a body this morning. We pray this all in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so, like Evan said, we, we are in First Peter. We'll be in First Peter for, for a while, uh, probably all throughout the summer in, into the beginning of September. We're, we're taking this one slow. We're going to go, go slowly um, through it, if, if you haven't already noticed. Um, we're, not, we're not taking large chunks of Scripture. We're taking smaller chunks and, and unpacking them. But let, let's do a little um, review before we get uh, rolling this morning. Peter is writing in about A.D. 62. He's writing to the, to the Roman Empire, all, all a, across the Roman Empire. And he's writing to Christians who are starting to feel ostracized from culture. They're, they're losing jobs. They're being seen as strange. They're being insulted for the name of Christ, for believing in what they believed. They had not yet begun to experience persecution in the form of, of dying for their faith. But that was right around the corner. He's writing to these Christians and he's encouraging them. And he's saying, yeah, I know. I know this is uncomfortable. You guys, you believe something very different than the world around you, but hang in there. What is coming for you is beyond anything you can imagine. The salvation of your souls, yes, it's been done, but it's coming in full fulfillment one day soon. Karen Jobes, who, who has a, a, an infamous commentary on 1 Peter, I'm going to quote a few times from her during this sermon. She says, just in, it, it, about the persecution that Christians were feeling, in general, the specific persecution referred to throughout the book seems limited to verbal slander, malicious talk, and false accusation. They were suffering because they were living by different priorities, values, and allegiances than their pagan neighbors. Does that sound familiar? Right? That's, that's, uh, we, we, we breathe that air today in a way that we might not have 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, the world around us is definitely getting hostile to, to the Christian message. And we can do one of two things with that hostility and that tension. There's a tension around us, and, and you all feel it, whether you're in your jobs and your families, you're going to feel that tension. We can seek to relieve it 
and especially on a few points that the Bible is very clear about and the culture is very loud about, we can relieve that tension and we can say, well, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. And that's really what the surrounding culture wants us to do. There's a lot of pressure to do that. And sometimes there's this false second choice. Like, okay, if I don't relieve the tension, then I have to stand over here and I have to be angry and hate and, and just be against everything. And that's kind of what the world is proposing. You either love people and relieve the tension or stand in here and stand in hate against everyone. And I just want to propose this morning that that's a false dichotomy. It's not, it's not true. There's a third choice. And the third choice is what believers have always stood in. And that's that we stand in love, but we stand firm. We don't hate, but we believe God. We believe the Bible. We speak the truth in love and grace. We listen with patience, but we hold fast to the word of God. Because everything else is shifting sand. What, what, what's popular today and what the world wants us to believe, in, in 10 years it's going to be something different. The word of God stands. And we may be hated by some, but to others will be the fragrance of Christ. And we have to be ready for that. And this is what Peter is telling these Christians. The, the context of this letter, it's as relevant to us today as it was to the Christians that Peter was writing to then. And these two questions keep coming up throughout the letter. And here they are. Does the reality of your relationship with God empower you to handle difficulty in this world now? Meaning, do you find such joy, the inexpressible joy that, that Peter writes about in knowing God that you're willing to be seen and misunderstood for your faith? The second question I kind of already jumped into it is, is, is your salvation, your, your salvation, your relationship with Jesus, does it cause deep down in your heart somewhere joy? Is there something in you that rejoices that you know the living God? Does this joy transcend your circumstances in your trials when things aren't going the way that, that you want them to go, when people maybe are talking about you in a way that you know is not true, but they're just seeing you as, as something that, that you're not, does that deep down joy relationship transcend that? And that's what Peter's getting at. He's going to weave this throughout the whole letter. This is how you suffer. You suffer because you have this joy. He seeks through the letter to encourage all these believers with the great salvation that they have. And today, he's going to tie that salvation all the way back to the beginning of time. So he's going to, he's going to encourage them by saying, this salvation that you have didn't just come out of nowhere. 
This has been predicted and preached all the way from the beginning of time. All right, so let's, let's dig in. 1 Peter 1.10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, yours, mine, searched and inquired carefully. So let's stop here. Concerning this salvation, so what salvation is he talking about? Well, think about what Evan just read. You're born again to a living hope. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This salvation, concerning it, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, like just go on, name all the prophets. They spoke about this. This salvation, the salvation that you have, that I have, the prophets spoke about it and prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and they searched and inquired carefully. So what were they searching? What are the prophets searching and inquiring? They're searching the scriptures. The Old Testament that was already written down just imagine this for a moment. Think about Jeremiah and Ezekiel pouring over scrolls as God is speaking to them, giving them a word to Israel and God's people. They're pouring over scrolls, searching and inquiring. What are they searching and inquiring about? If you were here in our fall sermon series, we did the book of Genesis and a big theme throughout that sermon series and a big theme throughout the entire Bible is right after the fall, Adam and Eve fall, God makes a promise and he says, the offspring of Eve is going to crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. And this just, this idea runs throughout the entire scriptures. And if you remember, remember we were, we were reading the scriptures and, and Lamech, who was Noah's um, father, there's two, two Lamechs, not, not the first one, the second one, Noah's father. When Noah was born, he's like, is he the one? Is this the one that's going to relieve us from our toil? That's Genesis 3 language. Like, work got hard, death entered the scene. Is Noah the one, the one that was promised that's going to take us out of this, this nightmare that we find ourselves in with sickness and death and anger and jealousy and hard work is Noah the one. And then you just, this runs throughout the scripture and the prophets. When this says here, they searched and inquired carefully, that's what they're looking for. The seed, the offspring of the woman. When is the offspring of the woman coming? When? And the promise just builds through the entire Old Testament. David Murray writes a book called Jesus on Every Page. I highly recommend it. Um, it's not a large book. It's an easy read. Um, and he, he says this. The Old Testament was built upon a promise. A promise of a suffering and saving Messiah. A promise first given in Genesis 3.15. So there's that, the promise, the seed of the woman. A promise that was expanded and clarified with every passing chapter and book. A promise that stimulated hope. 
expectation and longing. As Jesus said, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the promise in the Old Testament. This is what the prophets, they were concerning your salvation. They were looking to the scriptures and saying, when is he coming? When is he coming? After Jesus died on the cross, he was walking with a few of the disciples. You, you know the story of the road to Emmaus. And the, these disciples were, they were just down. They were, they were hurting. They, they had put their hope in, in Jesus, and all of a sudden, he, he's dead. And, and they don't know it's Jesus, and they're walking. And Jesus begins talking to them. In Luke 24, 27, and it says, and this is Jesus, and in beginning with Moses, so when it says in beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, because Moses wrote Genesis. So read this as, and beginning with the book of Genesis and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine this? Think about this for a moment. Let's try to get outside of, of, of the, the way that we think and, and just kind of put yourself in that um, place, walking along with a man, and you're, you know, maybe almost in tears. So, hey, we had this friend. We knew this guy, and he was, we thought he was the Messiah, but he died. And then all of a sudden, that, that man starts interpreting the Scriptures. Goes to Genesis 3.15. This promise, this offspring, it's me. This one that Moses said would be raised up, this prophet, that's, that's me. The one Isaiah talked about, it's me. And on and on and on. We got to be careful as, as believers. I, I've, over the years, I've heard this, this false premise, and you, you may have heard it and you may have said it, and I have said it at some point in my walk, um, that the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the New Testament is a God of grace. Don't fall into that. That's not true. The Old Testament is, is a promise and it just keeps building and building and building and it's all waiting for Jesus. It's all about Jesus and then Jesus is finally born. It's all one story. He's a God of grace from the, moment, the beginning of the Bible to the end. He's a God of wrath from the beginning of the Bible to the end. He's the same God all the way through. And I, I would ask you this morning, when it comes to your faith, do you realize that you are part of a story thousands and thousands of years old? Does that hit you at, at times? That your salvation is connected all the way back to the book of Genesis. See, we live in a, in a world right now that it simultaneously tells us that 
All stories can be true. You can invent your own story. You can create your own identity. And, you know, on the surface, that can sound kind of nice. Like, okay, yeah, I can, you know, if I want to be this today, I can kind of concoct this new identity. But the reality of that message is it, it empties life of meaning because we are all smart enough to know that if I can create my own story and you can create your own story and you can create your own story, that none of them are true. We know that intuitively. And we live in a world right now that has emptied life of meaning. It is no surprise that the suicide rate is where it's at amongst young people. We have emptied life of its meaning. We have told our children that they can be anything they want to be. They can make their own reality. There is no ultimate purpose. Your purpose is whatever you make it. Of course, our young people are feeling like life has no meaning. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You and I are part of the greatest, grandest story ever told. And please don't ever lose that. When you read the Bible, don't disconnect the Old Testament from the New. Peter's talking to a group of people who feel like strangers in their own land. They, he, they feel like they do not belong. And what is he doing here? He's connecting them. He's saying the prophets that spoke thousands of years ago, they were speaking about this salvation that you now have. This salvation that you have, this is not coming out of nowhere. This is thousands of years in the making. All right, so Peter goes on. The salvation that the prophets are, are searching intently and inquiring in Peter 1.11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So this is something that the disciples really struggled with. Actually, all of Israel struggled with this. If Jesus is the Messiah, why did he suffer? In fact, we have a record in, in the Gospel of Matthew of, of Peter, the very one who wrote this book, struggling with that idea. Let's, let's read it. So Jesus, from, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. What does Peter do? Peter takes him aside, begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So think about this. Peter's now reminding us, this Messiah, he had to suffer. Peter struggled with that. All the disciples struggled with it. Another quote from Karen Job. she says, Peter knows his readers need to understand what he himself had come to know, that the suffering and death of Jesus Christ was not an untimely accident or tragic mistake, but rather a necessity that had long been foretold. They needed to know that the, the foreseen suffering of the Messiah necessarily preceded the expected glory of the Messiah. 
So again, Peter, just like we, we saw in some of the, the, the last, I think it was last week, where he's like, you haven't seen him, but you love him. Peter saw him. And here we know that Peter struggled with, wait, well, the Messiah suffered. And he's talking to us again and saying, he predicted the prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ. And here's an example, the famous passage in Isaiah. A passage, by the way, that the Jewish people today still can't wrap their minds around. In fact, it, it, it's, it's known and it's said that this is not read in synagogues today. I don't know how, how true that is, but I, I have read that and heard that. Isaiah 53, 3-5, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now just think, let me stop there. Think about that. Like that's the normal human response. Here's this guy, he's coming, he's claiming to be the Messiah. Oh, he was killed, must not have been, stricken, smitten, right? Like that's the world we live in. We live in a world that idolizes success. So as Christians, when we come along and we suffer and we're struggling, the rest of the world might look around and say, oh yeah, what did they do to deserve that? They probably did something. All right, keep going. He, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's a verse that we all know. It's, it's, it's a famous verse, but I don't know sometimes, like if, if you keep reading, um, it, it, I don't know that we always keep reading because in verse 10, it, it says something, God says something here that is interesting. In verse 10, it says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He had to suffer. And it was the will of God to crush Jesus on the cross. Like, I don't know about you, but I got to do some thinking about that. Like, okay, that, that's, that's a difficult passage to think through. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus had to suffer first. And if you think about it, church, it is the pattern of every Christian. There's a micro pattern and a macro pattern of this. All throughout your life, you're going to go through trials, and we talked about this last week, and you're going to get through that trial, and you're going to feel a bit of strength that you never knew you had. You're going to feel a bit of glory after that trial. And then you're going to go into another trial. You're going to be crushed. And you're going to come through that. And you're going to be a little wiser, a little more conformed to Christ. But it's also the big pattern because we are going to suffer in this world and taste glory in the next life forever. Suffer first, glory later. I wish it wasn't so. But it is. It is. I wish it wasn't so. 
In fact, Romans 8, 15 to 17, these are some of the most beautiful verses in Romans 8 in the Bible, but there's this one little line at the end. It's like, can we just take that out? Can we take that out? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's beautiful. Daddy, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amazing. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Bible actually promises suffering for the Christian. It's a promise. And again, I'd, I'd rather not have that in the Bible, but it's true. Oh, he promises deliverance too. If you can remember back to Psalm 34, the Lord deliver us, delivers us from all our trials. There will be deliverance and there will be a final deliverance one day. But until then, we, we suffer and the subsequent glories. So we know about the glories of the Messiah. This, this is the, the disciples were, were only looking with that lens. They were only looking for, for the subsequent glories, and that's why Peter missed it, and many of them missed it. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's so much glory in what Jesus is going to eventually bring and set up. And, and again, the last few weeks we've seen this. Peter is talking mainly about our inheritance and our salvation, but not now, to come. And he's saying, we know that it's to come and we can taste it now and we have joy now, inexpressible joy, but we don't have the promise in its fulfillment yet. We don't. We don't have it yet. All right, Peter keeps, <clears throat> keeps going. 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed to them, to, to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but, but you, but, but me, but us, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Can you remember the first time you heard the gospel? Some of you, maybe you can remember. Some of you might have been very young, might have been in church, but can, can you remember? Can you remember the first time that you heard the gospel and it made sense? Where you said, whoa, wait, I've heard that before, but I'm actually getting it now. I, I get it. I understand what it means. You didn't know it. I didn't know it. But when we heard that message of hope, that is the same message of hope that God in the garden with Adam and Eve 
announced there's an offspring coming from this woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And that promise has just built and built and built over the entire Bible, and we heard the gospel. And it's all connected. It's all the same message. We just happen to be on the other end of it. We, can, we have a rear view to the gospel that they didn't have. In fact, Jesus says it like this. He's talking to his disciples, but it's just as applicable to us in, in the way that we can see through the Bible. He says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Your understanding of the gospel is much clearer than even the prophets had in the Old Testament. Karen Jobes says it like this, of all the times to be alive in human history, it is a supreme privilege to be alive in the period of history following the coming of Christ when the gospel is clearly preached. Christ is promised in the Old Testament in detail. He has come. Christ was prophesied that he would suffer in a particular way and he suffered exactly like the prophets said he would suffer. The prophets said he would perform specific and certain miracles and he did. He was raised on the third day exactly like the prophets predicted. The Gentiles, all of us, non-Jews, were brought into the family of God exactly like the prophets predicted. And Christ will come again and set up his kingdom exactly like the prophets predicted. How do we know that? Because we have seen a multiple, multiple promises fulfilled already. The Bible was written in a, a span of years, a huge span of years, and you can see promise 100 years later, fulfillment. Promise 1,000 years later, fulfillment. Promise 1,500 years later, fulfillment. All throughout the Bible. That's one of the reasons why we say we want to be in the Word. We want to be reading because you're going to build up your faith. You're going to see this God makes a promise and he does it. He is not like me and you. Where we make promises and, man, I, sorry, I can't do that today. I, something came up. The God that we serve fulfills his promises. Do you see how privileged we are to be on this side of the cross? We're privileged. All right, Peter, Peter continues. <clears throat> We're going to go back to, to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1.12. And we're going to focus on, on the angels now. So again, just to read the whole thought of this, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and me in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here's a question. 
Do you think that you know all there is to know about the gospel? Think about that for a moment. Do you think that you know all there is to know about the gospel? Over the years, I've heard something like this. Well, yeah, I believe the gospel. I know that. Let's move on. You don't need to tell me the gospel again. Let's move on. And I would say that that is very faulty thinking because right now we're reading that the prophets searched intently and the angels are longing to look into this salvation, which this salvation, what is it? It's the gospel. Oh, please keep looking into the, to the gospel. Dive deeply into the gospel. It is simple, yes, even a child can understand it, but you can plumb the depths of the gospel for the rest of your life. One of the the things that happened to me this year in in my studies, as we were going through the book of John, um, I was reading a a book along with that. I I usually read a few commentaries along with the book that I'm preaching on, but I I had a book, and I've named this book a a lot of times. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And uh, that book opened up the humanity of Christ in the Bible to me in a way that I'd never seen. And I'm still thinking about it. Like, it hasn't left me. You know when you read something and it's good and you're, like, you're thinking about that book for months after you read it and you're, you're going back to it? That happened to me this year, and it, it was the idea of the humanity of Christ, his gentleness, his lowliness for sinners, And it's in the Bible. It's not just in this book. It's in the Bible, but I'd never seen it before. And this is the gospel. This is part of the gospel. And I would just say, keep pressing in. This is the fuel for your Christian walk. This is where the inexpressible joy comes from, from delving into the riches of Scripture. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, an old 1800s London preacher, he says this about the angels. Neither men, nor prophets, nor angels, nor devils know all about the gospel yet. They they still need to go on studying and meditating and contemplating as the holy beings before the throne of God are doing, which which things angels desire to look into. The prophets searched carefully, and the angels longed to look into your salvation my salvation. Think about that for a moment. The angels, the angels who appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the angels who were present on Mount Sinai at the giving of the law, the angels who were surrounding the city when Elijah was surrounded by the enemy, the angels who came to the Virgin Mary The angels who came again in a multitude of heavenly hosts to announce the birth of Jesus. The same angels who ministered to Jesus as he was being tempted in the wilderness. The same angels who ministered to Jesus as he was in the garden of Gethsemane in agony 
about to go to the cross. The same angels that spoke to the disciples and comforted them that he had risen. The same angels who have witnessed all of human history and are with the Lord and see the Lord. These angels long to know what's happening with this salvation that we have. Think about that for a moment. This is big, and we often think of our salvation, and we kind of can think about it sometimes with, eh, okay, yeah, it's no big deal. The angels long to look into our salvation. Another quote from Spurgeon, and we'll finish. These glorious beings shall learn from our lips in heaven the manifold wisdom of God. They will cluster around us amazed and gladdened at us. Gladdened as they will ask us to rehearse again and again the wonders of redeeming love and to tell them what conversion meant and what sanctification meant. Think about that. They are seeing what's happening, but you're experiencing what's happening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we thank you for Peter in this letter and how so much of this letter is going to speak to us today in our current situation. Lord, help us to be salt and light. Salt and light in, in a world that does not like our message. Lord, help us to remember that you and you alone are Lord and you are building your church and you're using us to do it. Help us to rest in your providence and your sovereignty. Help us to look at our salvation with fear and trembling. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.